0: I think one of the things as we come to the message this morning, and again, I appreciate the song, that the Lord is there for us in trouble. Do you face trouble? Have you faced trouble in your life? And uh, maybe some of you as recently as this morning or as recently as this week, you have had some difficulties, I'm sure. Thank you, Pastor. I've got difficulties right now, as you can see. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, the Lord does promise to be there for us, but I think sometimes when we think about the Christian life, we think that when we come to the Lord, I think this is just bad doctrine. We come to uh, know Christ. There are many people then that thereafter believe that knowing Christ means that life is going to be easy or life is going to have no trouble. Now, let me ask you, has that been been your experience? Well, that's just because you must be sinning or something or you must not be right with God because if you're right with God, it's only blessing all the time. Well, that is a message that you hear today, surprisingly. And uh, I'm surprised by that message because it's not consistent with the Scriptures. It's not consistent with what we see the ministers of Christ dealing with as they are serving. But if you don't have good doctrine about God, God's call in your life, and what he's called you to, an appropriate biblical understanding of life, you can go through life in a very unsettled and tumultuous way. And here's how that works in the believer's life. Very often, there is, a, there is just what we call, or I would call, bad spiritual math. And it's the idea that I know the Lord, and because I know the Lord and love the Lord, and now I'm serving the Lord that good things happen. And then the equation comes in, I know the Lord, I'm surrendered to the Lord, I'm serving the Lord, bad things have happened, the Lord must be displeased with me or the Lord must be rebuking me, or the Lord must be doing something bad in my life, or all kinds of wrong equations come. Maybe the Lord doesn't love me, or the Lord doesn't care about me, or the Lord has left me, and such the importance of the song, right? That the Lord is there for us in trouble. Why? Because we are certainly going to face it. What we find as we step into 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the second part of that verse, as we walk through verse 15, is that Paul is going to be dealing with uh, his testimony. He's going to be dealing with trials. And then we are going to find at the end of that the task or the motivation for the task that God has given. We start, though, with his testimony. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, verse eleven, Second 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now, I want you to know, every time I come to preach, I really do believe that I'm going to cover all the verses that I'm going to be referencing. I have in my set of verses that we're discussing this morning, the block, just like I did last week, of verses 11 through 15. But as we look at this section, I don't want to miss the doctrine that we have right here that as you read your scriptures and you read this this morning, you might be tempted to just blow right past this but it's so core to the testimony or the importance of your testimony as you walk this life. So here's what I'm going to say. While you may face trial, we'll get to that in just a moment, don't underestimate the importance of your service for the Lord and the testimony of your life. So I will start then by asking you a question. You with me? Does your testimony matter if it matters if your testimony matters does it impact the way you live now you may have yes to the first part of the question and you may have a soft yes or a strong yes to the second part The hope that I would have for you this morning is that the doctrine that we see in verse 11 is going to give us great motivation, a a, a conviction behind life, what I'm living my life for. And it's going to be reiterated, reiterated again in this section. But we understand something as believers. We know something as believers that there is an accountability towards God. Everybody's going to have that accountability. You're going to either face the Lord as your savior, your judge, You either know him and are bound for heaven or you don't and you're bound for a Christless eternity. The doctrine of the scriptures is given clearly that whether people like this message or not, you do get to choose. You get to choose whether or not you place your faith in Christ. I hope everybody in this room can agree with that. I hope everybody can agree with the doctrine of the Bible that you have a choice to believe. And God has made that offer to you. But we know this and knowing that, that, that compels us to talk to people, to persuade people. Here's something that you need to know, first of all, in the core of who you are. There are a lot of different reasons that people do what they do. Do we all do what we do for the right reasons? Hello, come on. Do we all do what we do for the right reasons? Not always. Not always. Not always, right? And there can be bad reasons behind what we do and there can be good. You need to know who you are in Christ. And here's the point. Above all that everybody else knows on the planet, as a believer, you need this at the core of who you are. When you put your head on your pillow at night, the thing that will give you peace or rob you of peace most most significantly is your relationship with the Lord and what the Lord knows about you. So let me ask you, have you ever been misunderstood? Has anyone ever applied to you motives that you would not own? In other words, this person did this for this reason, or this person did that for that reason, or they just want this, or they just want that. Has that ever happened to you? What we find here in this first section, or I should say this first section of the message this morning, the importance of your testimony is you need to know who you are in Christ. And it says here, but we are made manifest unto God. Now, let's let's just break that down into modern vernacular. What does it mean that we are made manifest to God? What does that mean? It means that God knows us very well. It means that God knows us better than anybody else on the planet knows. The word manifest means to be clearly seen or to make clearly seen. So let me ask you, is there anything about you that God doesn't know? Doctrinally, let's answer the question. Is there anything about you that God doesn't know? There's nothing. Matter of fact, let me ask you this Does God know things about you that you don't know? What does he know about you that you don't know? Well, first of all, what does he know about you? God knows that you're messed up, right? Right? Come on, does he know you're messed up? Does he know you have issues with a capital I? Now, some of you, some of you say, well, not me. God knows you're proud too. <laughs> he knows that as well. Who are you talking that way to me? Well, look, God knows everything about us. And what that doctrine does for us is it brings us back to a place of humility and gratitude for God's grace. Who are we that God would love us? So what does he know about us? He knows the numbers of hair on your head. He knows the number of your days. He knows your thoughts when they are what? When they are afar off. So the Lord knows what you're going to be thinking as well as what you're thinking. And he knows whether you're engaged in this moment or thinking about the food you're smelling. God knows. God knows. God knows everything about you. God knows what's going on in your heart. Now, I think that yes, that can be convicting, but it can also be comforting. And here's the point. Really, when you understand this doctrine, it directs in the motivation and direction of your life. At the core of this is not worrying about what everybody else is thinking. Not worrying about what everybody else will say. By the way, is there enough bad in us to own? Are there bad things about us that we could identify? I hope that you would be real enough to say yes. But in that, God knows what is directing your life. And here's the thing about God. Whether there are things that you're not right with him about, or whether you're walking well with him, God knows. Now, we've come here today and, and we've hopefully cleaned ourselves up a little bit from the week. And put on a smile. And are trying to act like Christians today. Is that a good thing? Yes. By the way, when I say trying to act like Christians, I don't think it's a bad thing to mean that and to own that on purpose. That we are trying to minister Christ. And do you have to put that on? Well, scriptures would teach that. Scriptures would say that, yes, this is a purposeful decision. But are you flawed? Well, sure you are. But here's the thing that you can do. You can know that you are clearly seen to God. Where there needs to be conviction, God will bring it. Amen? Where there needs to be conviction, where there needs to be stepping on toes, God is faithful to do that because he loves you. He's not left you to save you and and let you wander the planet aimlessly wandering, uh, just doing what comes next. God is faithful to work in your life, to draw you close to him, to draw you in fellowship. And if you need conviction, the Holy Spirit will be there to do it. Amen? So the fellowship of the Lord is that you and I need to be surrendered to the God who knows us, to the God who sees me above everybody else. And by the way, I've had, have you ever had somebody just lie to your face and you knew it? I want to tell you how sometimes I hear people lie to my face. It usually starts with this, I love God, then followed with an excuse for why we're not obeying God. So is it fair to call that a lie if we say we love God and yet we're willing to be openly disobedient to him? Is it fair to call that a lie? <laughs> yes, it is. But here's the thing. God knows you better than he knows yourself. You know yourself. And where you are doing things, surrendered to him, though flawed you may be, God knows the surrender of your heart. And really what's being driven in this passage is that you and I will see this as we get in the whole context of this, that you and I belong to him. We matter to God because he loves us and he's given purpose to our lives, but we need to be grounded in the, in the focus of what God has given us. But really before you can go too far in that, you've really got to come back to a subtle place of who am I in Christ? I want to tell you that we miss this doctrine very often in huge ways we look to pastors to affirm to us you have this gift we take spiritual tests where other people can grade our spiritual tests and say well you must be gifted in this or you must be gifted in that and I really would say it's a lot more simple than that just know that God knows you and in that humility surrender to him Surrender to your service of him. He knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. And really that is at the core of what we're going to be discussing here in this verse. He knows all there is to know. There is no hiding who we are with him. Others may question your motives. Others may question uh, what drives you. But God knows. And ultimately, who are we accountable to? Let's say it again. Ultimately, who are we accountable to? So that's everybody in this room. So God is the one to whom we're accountable. That's what he's just made the point of in the beginning of this verse. And he knows us better than anyone else. He knows what's going on in us. He knows what motivates you. Now, why does that become significant? Well, you find here... In this knowing us, Paul is making the argument that he knows what's driving our lives, what's driving the purpose of our living. And in that vein, there are sometimes trials that you face in ministry, and trials in ministry often come from those who are looking to accuse you in some fashion. We'll get to that in just a moment. Take uh, Paul's testimony into account by looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. In other words, who we are as Christian should not simply be a show for others. It needs to be driven out of a heart that God knows us and knows the motives that drive us. But our testimony matters, and the way we live matters because it affects the message that we carry. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10, we read where Paul says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, and it goes on. He says, You have fully known my doctrine and manner of life. In other words, the life of a believer in their testimony needs to be Transparent. It needs to be open so that it is clearly seen the motives that drive you and who you are. That there doesn't need to be a uh, in the life, a secret life of I'm putting on a show simply for others to believe where it really isn't true. Matter of fact, I read a testimony this morning of a young lady who was married and she wasn't in my estimation very doctrinally grounded and she had heard somewhere along the line that you know you can the number one standard that you have for marrying a person is that they have a testimony of uh, faith in Christ and that they attend church all the time. Well, that's that's great. Those things can be great, but really there's a lot to consider and that is do you know that person? And as you read the three-page document, what you read in this short little um, romance where they were engaged six months after they started dating and married three months after that, is you then found out for the rest of that three pages how the person that that person married lied all through the process. And only did what they did so that they could be in the position of marrying that person. So what did they do? They put on the show. Well, here's what I'm driving at. We can do that. We, all of us can do that. But God knows who we are. God knows what is going on inside of us. And while we may lie to others, God knows. There's nothing hidden to the Lord. And in that commendation, the reason we take a moment to talk about your testimony, it is a very empty and hollow thing to put on a show for the world. It's laborious to get up every day and have to put on a show. Instead, what God calls us to is living a life of fellowship with him. Fellowship with the God who truly knows who we are. Now, I want to come back to this before I move on to the importance of our testimony and go on to our trials. I want you to remember that God's grace is super abounding. Can we say amen to that? Amen. If any of us were measured by our worth and service... There would be nobody fit to serve. We are who we are and are given the ministry of the gospel by the grace of God. We live in that grace daily. That doesn't excuse our sin, it doesn't excuse our faults or where we need to grow, but we live daily in the grace of God. Can you hear that? I hope you hear that this morning. But that God who knows us, and that God, as this passage talks about, uh, being the clay pots, us being the clay pots, God chooses to use us anyway. But in that service, Paul is saying in this next section, he's going to address a trial that he faced in ministry. And that trial that he faced in ministry was a misapplied motive at least amongst other things. So we read here in verse 12, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. When he says we commend, we commend not ourselves, the word commend is the idea of an introduction. It's the idea of setting the stage again and telling someone, this is who I am. Paul did not have to do that. The reason we don't have to, he didn't have to do that, is because his life was open and and transparent, while flawed, the motivation or the compass of his life, he knew, and he knew that God knew, and that is this, I am sold out to the Lord. And by the way, as this passage is going to lay out, and we don't have time to go into it all this morning, so I have to pick it up from here, but what we know is that this is the call to every believer's life. Complete dedication, being sold out, being a servant of God, living for the Lord, walking in fellowship with Him constantly. This is the call of life to every believer. And all God's people said, this is who we are. It's not just a show. We do what we do because there's a right motive behind it. We do what we do because we love God. The Lord, the one who died for us. But he says, We commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. Well, why does he not commend himself again? Look at Second Corinthians chapter three and second Corinthians chapter one to give some context of the book of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 3, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Do we have to introduce ourselves again or lay out the story again of why we do what we do and who we are? Or need we as some others, epistles or letters of commendation to you? Do you need to hear from somebody else who I am? You are our epistle, verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 3, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And what he is saying is that Paul has lived a life of investing himself in those believers in giving them the gospel and teaching them the doctrines of the word of God. In other words, you have lived with me. You've gone through life with me, and you have seen what has been the compass of my life. You are the open testimony of the investment of one who's living their life sold out to God because I've invested my life in you. You have seen my life. Go on to Second Corinthians chapter 1. When he says to give you occasion to glory on our behalf, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 12 and 14, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity, in other words, he's saying, I can say this with clear conscience, I can say it with clarity. This has been, again, the compass of my life. The testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to your word. Our conversation in the world and more abundantly to your word is you have seen and the world has seen our lives. For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge, and I trust shall acknowledge even to the end, as also you have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Again, a hint there at the end that there is a coming accountability to the Lord who knows why we've lived our lives. But here's the idea we as believers have an opportunity to journey together, to live an open testimony of loving God and serving Him. You and I have an opportunity to live this life in open testimony of loving God and serving Him. That's who we are as believers. That's what we're called to be. And it's a shame that there are many churches who don't experience this kind of testimony and this kind of interaction with each other because there is not this kind of doctrine that undergirds individual lives. Now, what does that mean? It means that this is not the purpose that drives many. For many in churches where there are fractions and where there are fightings, those come because people's eyes are not on Christ, but they're on being seen by men. What can I have? What can I get? What kind of of power can I wield? What kind of control can I have? And, And this ministry needs none of it. The world doesn't need to see that in what is called the church. The world needs to see who we are in our testimony and who we are as believers. We are called to be sold out servants of God who love him and are serving him. That's what he's called us to be. So let me say something for all of us. I I do not enjoy any time i'm doing ministry and i feel like when we're trying to do a ministry that i've got to pull somebody's teeth to be involved matter of fact my take on it is if i have to pull pe- people's teeth to do it maybe god's not in it because we're a partnership we are the body of christ serving god together and it is not the pastor's pressure that motivates you to serve i do not want that kind of power or authority I want you to serve God as he directs your life to serve him. And what I know is that he will and does. And it's a blessing to give your life to the Lord and serve, even though it means sacrifice. The, act, the argument follows as, as this. There were those that would disrespect Paul and therefore hurt his message to the Corinthians. The disrespect would come in several fashions. There were those that would malign his motives. They gave different uh, false motives for why he did what he did. And I'm not taking time this morning to go through all the epistles or letters and to give the different ways that he was maligned. But there were those who would disrespect him by saying his motives aren't pure, he's just trying to get something out of you. Are there pastors and are there churches where leadership are trying to get something out of you? Is are there? Yes. yes. And are they manipulative? Yes. yes. So what you want is to be motivated by God. And why, by the way, I believe as you read these letters and, and this theme is actually all through Second Corinthians. The reason Paul even takes time to do this isn't so much about him as it is about the message he carries. And what he did not want is that this vessel that he held of who he was would be ineffective because people were accusing him or misrepresenting him and therefore hurt his message. So therefore he had to come into this context of answering that and giving them an answer for those who make these accusations. Another another reason Paul might have suffered under trial of his message was that Paul was not a powerful speaker. He was not a powerful and dynamic presence. Paul did not light up a room when he walked in. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. One of the reasons I said this theme is throughout 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 10, Paul references what others might say about his ministry. And they would say for his letters say they are weighty and powerful. He can sure write a good letter. But his bodily presence is what? His bodily presence is weak. And it goes on to say his speech is what? Contemptible. So either in the way he spoke or what he spoke about, there were those that would come to hear that message. You know what they'd go away with? Man, he's not a very good speaker. Or they'd go away with, you know, I really don't like what he had to say. Either he wasn't a good speaker Or, they didn't like what he had to say. Why is Paul Paul taking time to address this? Again, it's the importance of the message he carries. And his testimony is tied to that message. So this morning, in the time that we have, that message needs to be said here today. That the message of the Gospel, the message of the truths of the Word of God are carried in the vessel of your testimony. So I'm going to ask you something. What does that motivate you to do? What would God want you to know based on a truth like that? So I'll ask the question, that we started with. Does your testimony matter? If it matters, do we live in an applicational sense that I as a steward of God carry the message of the truths of God and the world around me sees that message in this clay pot? in this vessel. Now, the reason this message to me is powerful today falls under the banner of a a philosophy or what I would argue is a weak doctrinal outpouring of philosophy where at least in the generation in which we live There is a lot of living for one's self. Now, I'm not looking at us as brothers and sisters in Christ and trying to be judgmental. I'm trying to be accurate and I'm trying to assess where we are and why God gives passages like this to call us to application like this where the scriptures are inspired by God for us to do something with them. The argument of this passage, while not in the theme of the context of what I've given as a title or as a focus this morning, the overall, the overarching theme of this passage is that we are living testimonies of Christ. We are to live our lives dedicated, sold out, and surrender to Him. And that's what the Gospels, and that's what the Word of God sees as normal Christianity. And what I'm asking this morning is for a personal assessment in our lives, are are we living the normal Christianity as the Word of God gives that doctrine, or are we living a normal Christianity compared to the world around us? There were other reasons that Paul faced trials. There was a jostling for power, and there was all kinds of different pressure working in the church to divide the church. So much so that in his service for the Lord, and I want to take time, we're not going to get to the last part of the message, but we are at least going to get to verse 13. And that is this. Again, your testimony for Christ matters, but when you are called to ministry, and certainly we all are called. But if you step into ministry, I want to set the stage of expectation. The stage of expectation cannot be that if I give myself to the service of the Lord, it will cost... But light. Now, how can that be so if living for Christ means that you will face trial? What you have is an important doctrinal truth, and that is this. Are you with me? I don't stay with me. Are you with me? Yes. The important doctrinal truth is this it is a lighter path, a, a less burdened life to go through life surrendered to God than going through life as a believer not surrendered to God. There's all kinds of illustrations here to which we could go. One of the things that uh, we've said between my wife and I uh, and just in ministry, life is hard enough without adding sinful choices to it. Isn't it? Life is hard enough without being dumb. Life is hard enough without adding stupidity to it. But that's often what we will do if we don't have these doctrines cored into our value set. So here, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a lowly preacher talking to you, loving you, and asking you are you committed to Christ even if it means trial? Even if it means difficulty? Well, how how laborious does that get? How draining, how soul-sucking can that be? Well, listen to this next phrase in verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. I I don't believe that many translations... Uh, get this word quite right in the sense of the flavor that's there. When he says whether we beside ourselves only if you know your Bible and know language and have done the study this do you know what that means. <laughs> when he says beside ourselves what does that mean? It has, it has a few different synonyms and it means either insane it means crazy in our modern vernacular, we would call this person nuts. Now, in in the uh, lineage of your family tree, are you the nut? Do you ever wonder how the rest of the family describes you? <laughs> Are you the one in the family that, people that, that, that when you come into the family re- reunion, the room might get a little bit quiet and everybody can... <laughs> Here they are. I got a different question. Are you the religious nut? You walk into the room and go, oh, here we go again. They're going to talk about Jesus. How many of you have had that conversation? Don't talk to me anymore about it. I've already heard you. You don't need to talk to me anymore about it. And then you're left with, what do I do? I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to whatever. You know what you're going to do? Let's talk about Jesus. All right, that's what we do so I want you to remember this nobody in the world has the right to shut you up about Jesus nobody in the world has the right to shut you up about Jesus and if they want to call you nuts and want to call you crazy sell out for Jesus anyway stop living in the mammy pammy world that you're trying to make everybody happy just love Jesus and talk about him just love Jesus and talk about him but my family yeah I know I know, I mean, it can be that way, but let's talk about Jesus anyway. You see, he knew what it meant to be called nuts. Take your Bible to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. Knowing, therefore, the chair of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made clear, manifest, revealed in your consciences, in your discernment, in your understanding of who we are. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your sakes." What does it mean to be called crazy? Acts chapter 26, 26, verses 24 and 25. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art what? There's that phrase again. Thou art crazy, insane beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee You're nuts. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Amen? You carry the truth of the word of God in you. And the world may see it as nuts, but it's the truth of the word of God. Let's stand in the truth, no matter how crazy the world sees it. Because the truth is, the world has lost its mind. (laughs) You have a living example every day of a crazy world. I mean, we are six ways from Sunday, nuts about how we're approaching life in this United States of America. And if the truth is, for all believers, when you come to Christ, you thank the Lord for the sanity He finally brings to your life. First Corinthians chapter four. and I, someone can tell the junior church classes we're almost done. Amen. Right now, they're singing through every list of songs they know. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Alright, right, First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. We are fools for Christ's sake. Are you willing? Hello, are you willing? Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Are you willing... Are you willing to have the world look at you as crazy? If you are not, I'm going to be bold here, if you are not, you have not reconciled what it means to be a follower of Christ. You've not gotten serious yet about what God has called you to. God has called you to more than being saved. He's called you to walk with Him. To abide with him. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong, ye are honorable.